All right, guys, if you have uh, your Bible, open and find the book of Exodus again. This morning, our passage will be another lengthy one. Um, it will cover all the way from chapter 7, verse 8, all the way through the end of chapter 11. I, I put it in the group meetings uh, yesterday, I think, what that passage was. I hope that some of you at least have been able to read that ahead of time. Um, this, this passage we're going to cover today covers or it contains the account of Moses' second and subsequent confrontations uh, 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 with Pharaoh. Um, if you recall from the section of the book that we studied last week, um, the Lord, and just to recap a little bit of what, uh, what we said last week, in case some of you were not here for that. <clears throat> God was preparing Moses in that section we looked at last week, which was from basically chapters 3 through the first part of chapter 7. God was preparing Moses uh, to go before the people of Israel, to declare to them the word of the Lord that God had given to them, and to go before Pharaoh and declare to him the word that God had given him. And we saw how hesitant Moses was, uh, how many excuses he gave initially. He did not want to be a part of this. Like He was like, who am I that I should go? Um, what would I say? I don't even know what I would tell them. They won't believe me. Um, I'm not an eloquent speaker. I'm slow of speech. Please send somebody else. That's, that's literally what he says to, to the Lord. And, and uh, what we pointed out through that last week was just the incredible patience of God with him. Moses is just like us. He's extremely human. He's extremely fallen and frail and, and weak. And we're the same way. God was extremely patient with, with, with Moses. He's extremely patient with us. Um, but uh, remember, initially, uh, or eventually, Moses and his brother Aaron, who was now his spokesman, agreed to go before Pharaoh, uh, agreed to go before the people of Israel. They went. Initially, the people of Israel were received it positively. They're like, yes, this is great. They, they go before Pharaoh, and it, what didn't go so well with Pharaoh? Um, Pharaoh worked them harder, uh, without mercy, and because of it, Moses began to question what in the world God is, is, is doing uh, it's not going according to it's not going according to what I thought was going to happen, and the people of Israel now begin to reject Moses because, from their viewpoint, when you got involved, our life was already hard. It just got harder. I don't know what's going on. Moses, just still recapping last week, Moses goes back to the Lord in an utterly honest but perhaps a bit misguided prayer. If you're open to Ephesians five, for example, um, just look again at this prayer that Moses prayed at the end of Exodus 5. It's just two verses, verses 22 and 23. I'm sorry. I need more sleep. Exodus. Exodus 5. I'm like, man, there's a lot of flipping just to get to Exodus 5. Uh, Exodus 5. The end of it, verses 22 and 23. Then Moses turned to the Lord. This is after things had gone awry. And this is how he prayed. And again, this is, this is the scriptures teaching us to pray honestly when he prayed. What's the point of praying otherwise? Uh, oh, Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why, why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's, he's done evil to this people. And you have not delivered your people at all. I mean, just accusing God. Um, 
And what we saw, again, the incredible patience of God, what we saw, though, is in the first part of chapter 6, the first 13 verses of chapter 6, and then in the the very first part of chapter 7, the the first seven verses of chapter 7, with a curiously placed genealogy of Moses in between those two passages, God reassured to Moses of what he was about to do. And Moses just needed to wholeheartedly and humbly submit to the Lord and be willing to do whatever the Lord asked him to do. I said last week, I think that curiously placed genealogy of Moses right in the middle of chapter 6 of all places, I think is Moses' confession and concession to the Lord and to us that, that his acknowledgement, I'm merely a man. I'm merely a man. And, and his acknowledgement that, that this would be all the Lord's doing and none of his own. Whatever's about to take place, this is Moses saying up front, it ain't me. It's going to be the Lord. And I think this is also behind, at the very last verse of what we looked at last, last week, behind what Moses wrote in chapter 7, verse 7, reminding us in that verse, in Exodus 7, 7, just how old they were. Moses was 80. Aaron was 83. I think this is Moses just saying, this story is about to get good, and I just want you to know I'm an 80-year-old man, you know, and I'm just a man. This is not me at all. This is, this, what you're about to read is the sovereign, omnipotent work of the Lord. And from that mi- mindset, then, Moses agrees to go back to Pharaoh a second time, and that's where our section of the book picks up for today. It would commence a series of plagues that the Lord would sovereignly bring upon Pharaoh and on the Egyptians, and a series of refusals by Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go, as Moses was saying the Lord was demanding. And it sets the stage for the redemption and the the ultimate exodus of the people of Israel out of Egypt, which is in the section to follow the one we're studying today. Like I said, our passage today runs from chapter 7, verse 8, all the way to the end of chapter 11. Uh, And just to get a feel for the tenor of this section, turn with me over to Exodus chapter 10. I could have picked any number of passages um, that would have given us this. I just picked one. We're going to read from 1016 through the end of chapter 11. It's not too long. I mean, chapter 11 is only 10 verses. But it, all right, so just to set the stage for what we're about to read, Chapter 10, verse 16, begins at the end of the eighth plague. That's the locusts. And the passage we're going to read goes through the ninth plague of darkness and then to the promise of a tenth plague in in chapter 11. So chapter 10, verse 16. Then Pharaoh hastily, again, this is at the end of the eighth plague, eighth of ten plagues. Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, forgive my sin, please, only this once. (laughs) That's funny. Don't forgive me anymore, just this once. And plead with the Lord your God to remove this death from me. So he went out from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord. And the Lord turned the wind into a very strong west wind, which lifted the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in all the country of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people go. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. 
they did not see one another. Nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock must also go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take care, take, we must take of them to serve the Lord our God, and we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again, for on the day that you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, As you say, I will not see your face again. Then the Lord said to Moses, Yet one plague more. I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her, of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. And Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle, there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these, your servants, uh, shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you, and after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. Let's pray. Oh Lord, these are important chapters that we're about to, to read and think about. They have important things to teach us. Lord, I pray uh, First of all, confessing that what we just read and everything we'll see today is your holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible, sufficient, clear, authoritative, and necessary word. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see the truth in the pages. Would you please uh, give us minds to understand clearly what you've, you reveal to us here? Would you give us hearts to embrace and love and see as important? what we read and learn here would you give us wills to respond positively to and and obey whatever it is that you admonishes us to do here i pray that you give me the help that i need to teach and please give us all ears to hear what the spirit says here i pray in jesus name amen okay so then in that passage we have examples of some of the things i want us to see from this whole section again if you were here last week or listened on the podcast what we what we saw in the section that we looked at last week, the things that we learned, the points that we made, sort of tracked along with the unfolding of the story. Um, 
yeah, that, that, yeah, it just did. You can go back and listen to it. Um, the, 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 the points, the truths that you could draw out of that just tracked, tracked right along with the unfolding of the story. This passage is different. Um, it's just really not that way. These chapters, not in a bad way, but they're almost like a broken record. If you read them ahead of time, you know what I mean. I mean, it's, it is, they are emphasizing the same things over and over and over again. Um, and so I want us to consider three things in that way uh, this morning from this chapter. The first one's going to have to do with what's being demonstrated between God and Pharaoh. We would be remiss if we did not say anything about the repeated refrain of God hardening Pharaoh's heart or of Pharaoh hardening his own heart. The second point is going to have to do with what's being demonstrated through the ten different plagues that God sends upon the Egyptians. And then the third point is going to take a step back and look at the plagues from what the rest of Scripture says about them. Um, all right, so here's, if you're taking notes, these are the points. First, I want to think first about the, the pride of Pharaoh. The pride of Pharaoh as his heart is hardened by the Lord and by his own volition at times. We'll spend some time here because it's, it's certainly an important point. The pride of Pharaoh. Second, I want us to be clear on the purpose of the plagues. The purpose of the plagues. The purpose which is more than simply forcing Pharaoh's hand. It's, it, the, the plagues are more than, the purpose of them is more than the Lord just clamping down tighter and tighter and, and until, until uh, Pharaoh cries mercy and lets the people go. It's, it's more than that. These plagues are meant to demonstrate something about the Lord. Uh, to, not, not just something about the Lord, but demonstrate something about the Lord to the watching Egyptians, to Pharaoh himself. Uh, there are ten of these plagues. We only have so much time, so I'll have to hit some high spots. And then thirdly and finally, I want to take a step back and think about the prelude of the plagues, the prelude of the plagues, which we're going to consider the, some of these same plagues, but, but from a more typological perspective. In other words, these, these plagues are types. They are shadows. They're foreshadows of something bigger and more ominous that the Scripture makes clear about. All right? So that's, that's where we're headed. Let's think first about the pride of Pharaoh. I have told you so many times, and I'll continue to do so, that when you're reading the Bible on your own, when you're reading and studying and meditating on the Bible on your own, you should always take notice of repetition. Like repeated words, repeated phrases, repeated ideas, repeated places, repeated names, repeated repetition. When I pray, as I just prayed before every lesson that I teach, and I, among other things, we confess the Scriptures are clear. This is one example of why we confess that. Because whenever something is important, the most important things in the Bible, God has not left obscure. The most important things that we are supposed to, to draw, that is supposed to, that we're supposed to see, the Holy Spirit inspired the Scriptures in such a way that those things are repeated over and over again. And we see that, an example of that here in the matter of, of the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. We're 7, 8 to eleven ten is our passage today. Just by a quick count, and I could have overlooked a couple of them. I don't know. I don't think I have. Over the course of these five chapters, uh, the matter of Pharaoh's heart being hardened is mentioned 
13 times. 13 times in these five chapters. Uh, and, it, and it's just, it is just so repetitive. I mean, like, in chapters 8 and 10, in those respective chapters, it's mentioned three times in each of those chapters. Uh, this matter is mentioned four times in chapter 9. And even at the end of chapter 9 and the beginning of chapter 10, it's mentioned three times in three verses. I mean, so it is impossible to read through this section of, 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 uh, of Exodus and, and not notice this incessantly repeated theme. But what can we learn about it? What, what, what should we take about it? It has uh, take away from it. It, has, it is and has long been a debated issue theologically. Like, did God harden Pharaoh's heart first? Did Pharaoh harden his own heart and then, then God later hardened his heart? Which, which came first? Was it, is it chicken or is it egg? I think it, wherever one comes down on that question is basically a distinction without much of a difference. Um, why do I say that? Because Jesus himself says, told us in Matthew 10, 29, that not a sparrow falls to the ground apart from the will of the Father. What is that supposed to teach us? What does that imply? What does that analogy imply? It, it, it implies very clearly this, that anything that happens in this world down to the tiniest detail, a tiny little bird falling to the ground, happens by the will of God. Or, or think about Paul likewise in Ephesians. I, I do mean Ephesians this time. Ephesians 1.11, where Paul says that God works all things according to the counsel and purpose of his will. There is not a whole lot of wiggle room in all things, right? So anything, anything that happens in Scripture or in reality in general, um, or as the old confessions of faith put it, whatsoever comes to pass, are, whether you're expressly told that or not, in, in each individual occasion, they happen by the will of God. Uh, and, and I say all that here because I believe it's important to remember when we come to this matter of, of, of Pharaoh's heart, because I'm going to show, I do believe that the, the references, these 13 references are told in a sequential matter. They're told in such a manner and in such an order to teach us something about human responsibility and its consequences. But if, if someone says that whenever it says Pharaoh hardened his own heart, that means that God didn't have anything to do with it, Jesus and Paul would like to have a word. Like, the bottom line is the intersection between God's sovereignty and human responsibility is mysterious enough that we ought never to say God is not sovereign or that we are not responsible. Scripture teaches both, and we confess both, and they're not logically incompatible. The question then is to ask, in what way is the Scripture presenting this information to us, and what are we to learn from it? And, what it, and, 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 and I think that's a sobering and a helpful thing to consider here. The first, the first reference... Uh, to Pharaoh's heart is actually in the passage we studied last week. Uh, in chapter 3, verse 19, in 319, uh, God told Moses, before he ever went to Pharaoh, 
He said in chapter 3, verse 19, But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. Now, how did God know that? It, it doesn't say, it doesn't, that verse doesn't say that he's going to harden his heart. It doesn't say that he knows that Pharaoh's going to harden his own heart. It's ambiguous. But God knows that he's not going to. So how does he know that? Not a sparrow falls to the ground apart from the will of the Father. So he knows it because he has ordained it before the foundation of the world. He knows it because he knows Pharaoh, right? So the, fir the first mention of the hardening of Pharaoh's heart is actually in the next chapter, in chapter 4, verse 21, when, it's, when God says to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I've put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. And that, that, is, that truth is reiterated just before our passage today in chapter 7, verses 3 and 4, where God says again, But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. So, early, uh, Moses, in his telling uh, of it, as he's writing this book, he wanted to establish, I think, I looked at these early examples to say this. It's clear that Moses is wanting to establish this truth, that whenever, whenever he said that Pharaoh hardened his own heart, he is not saying that Pharaoh was somehow on par with God uh, in his will, which is why, if you'll notice, as we move through some of these examples, almost invariably, whenever Moses says, when he writes that, Mo, that Pharaoh hardened his own heart, there's not a period there, there's a comma. Pharaoh hardened his own heart as the Lord had said. As the Lord had said. So even when Moses, when, when Pharaoh's like bucking up against God, he's still merely doing what God had said he was going to do. It, it, this is Moses' way of saying what the Lord would, for example, say later on, long, uh, in, in Isaiah, for example. When Isaiah's talking about King Cyrus of Persia, God says about King Cyrus of Persia, big mighty king, God tells him, I call you by name. I name you, though you do not know me. I am the Lord, and there is no other besides me. There is no God. I equip you. You're doing all these things? You're, you're boasting about all these things you're doing as king? God says, I equip you, though you do not know me. This is, this is, this is, that, that, that is this in, in Exodus. Pharaoh is not mindful of the Lord. He thought he was God. And yet everything he, he did was as the Lord had said. But I do want you to notice the progression of references to Pharaoh's heart, which is instructive to us about the danger of pride before the Lord. Early on in our passage, um, Moses words it in such a way that it emphasizes, if anything, the purpose of Pharaoh in hardening his heart. So, for example, and you can jot down these references or look and flip with me. So, for example, in chapter 7, verse 13, after Pharaoh's magicians counterfeit the sign that Moses had just performed, it says in chapter 7, verse 13, still 
Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen. And then after the first plague of turning the water of the Nile to blood, it says in chapter 7, verse 22, Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen. Those two references are a little vague in, 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 in that it doesn't specify a, or assign an agent. It just simply says his heart was hardened. Did he do it or did the Lord do it? I don't know. But as the story keeps going, we see more specificity. Telling us, for example, in chapter 8, verse 15, after the second plague, he, Pharaoh, hardened his heart and would not listen. And then in chapter 8, verse 32, after the fourth plague of the flies, but Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Chapter 8, verse 32. And you have more and more overt references to the intentionality of Pharaoh of hardening his own heart toward the Lord. But after a series of those, after saying it several times, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart further. Pharaoh hardened his heart. After a series of references like that, the tone changes. So, for example, in chapter 9, verse 12, after the sixth plague, but the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not listen to them. And even later, in relation to the eighth plague, we are told twice in chapter 10, verse 1, then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and, and the heart of his servants. And then again in chapter 10, verse 20, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And just one more for good measure. After the final plague in chapter 11, verse 10, the, the final plague is threatened, uh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Why am I belaboring all of this? That early on it just says, his heart was hardened, then it progresses to Pharaoh hardened his own heart, says that for a while, and then it progresses to the Lord hardened his heart. Why belabor all that? Because it helps us to illustrate a biblical truth that we see throughout Scripture in the New Testament as well. Notice, again, it goes from Pharaoh doing this to his own heart to what God was now more actively doing to his own heart. To, to Pharaoh's heart. The emphasis is being put on God's action being a judgment on Pharaoh um, as a consequence to his pride. And notice how it's made more explicit to us in a couple of places. We're told at, at the end of the, the sixth plague, we're told at the end of the sixth plague that God is now hardening his heart further. Um, knowing that, Knowing that we've already been told now, after the sixth plague, that God is hardening his heart further. Notice how in chapter 9, verse 27, after the seventh plague of hail, severe hail, it actually says in chapter 9, verse 27, this is the, we, see, we saw another example of this in the passage we read this morning. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I have sinned. The Lord is right, and I and my people are wrong. Really? Is he, is he really? So we've already been told 
the Lord hardened his face. We've been told many times his heart was hardened. We've been told many times that Pharaoh was hardening his own heart. And it got to a point where now we've been, we're already told the Lord is hardening his heart. And now the first thing you see after we're told the Lord is hardening his heart is Pharaoh saying, I have sinned. I'm wrong and my people are wrong. Are you not so fast? After the, after the, in this same passage, after the hail stops, we read in verse 34 that Pharaoh hardened his heart again. His, his repentance was not sincere. Likewise, right after this, in chapter 10, verse 1, when it said that God consequently hardened Pharaoh's heart further, we read in verse 16, which was the first verse of what we read this morning, Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I've sinned against the Lord and against God and Lord your God and against you. But this time when the plague ended, it wasn't Pharaoh who hardened his heart again, but the Lord in verse 20. What do we learn from this? We learn from this in narrative form, in story form, what Paul gives us in didactic form in Romans 1. When in Romans 1, which we're going to study this fall, by the way, when the Gentiles proceed headlong in their obstinate rebellion to the Lord and their unrepentance, and even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but in their foolish hearts were darkened, right? They did not honor God. They did not remember Him. Their foolish hearts were darkened. And then three times, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. God gave them up to dishonorable passions. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. God is sovereign over human hearts. And, he, and we see examples of that just outside of this. In Genesis 15, Genesis 15, God had told Abraham... By the way, when your people come out of Egypt, they're going to go out with a great many possessions. And in this heart, in this passage, God just tells the Israelites, hey, go to the Egyptians and say, can I have all your stuff? And they're going to give it. Like he had said hundreds of years earlier. God is sovereign over human hearts, but he's perfectly just. The Bible repeatedly makes this point. God is perfectly just to bring his judgment early to a steadfastly rebellious and unrepentant sinner. That is a sobering thought, but it's an undeniable biblical truth. If God is just to bring it about at the end of a person's life, He's certainly just to bring it early. So, that being the case, this is why we see that, that God had already brought that judgment early on Pharaoh so that even the apparent even the apparent repentance they display is nothing deeper than physical discomfort or trying to avoid the consequences of sinful actions. That's as deep as a repentance can go. And it's not lasting. This story, as we'll see in the next point here, is meant to display the glory of God over Pharaoh. And the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, as we pointed out in the first week, is designed by the Lord so that God's glory and God's sovereignty is supremely seen. When Pharaoh does let the people go, we see that it is God's sovereignty that made it happen and not Pharaoh's benevolence. That's the larger story here. But the legitimate biblical secondary point to be made here is 
work to keep your heart tender toward the Lord. And you can't just conjure up feelings. It's not about feelings. It's, it's through daily habits. Daily habits designed for that. Even when you don't intensely feel it. Those, are, those things are still means of grace, of God's grace to, to, that keep you from growing hard in your heart toward Him. Because the danger in pride toward God and becoming callous toward God is, is, is the Lord letting your... The danger in that is the Lord letting your disinterest and your pride have its full, full consequence in your heart. But enough about Pharaoh and his heart. Let's think for a minute about the plagues and what we can learn about their purpose. I'm just going to hit a couple of high spots here because of time. And I'm just going to pause here for a commercial. Uh, Pastor Brian preached a great sermon on the plagues uh, last August. You want to be specific? If you haven't heard it, you can look it up on the podcast or the website, August 1st, 2021. Um, The title of the sermon is Behold the Lord, His Jealousy, Our Hope. And he, he, does a, he has a much more, uh, he spent the whole sermon on the plagues. So he gives in greater detail in that sermon what I'm just going to touch on here. Uh, so go listen to that. All right, but let's think for a minute about the purpose of the plagues. Um, the plagues that God brought about on the Egyptians because of Pharaoh's steadfast refusal to let the people go, for sure, they're properly called plagues. I mean, if you read it, I mean, miserable affliction would be a mild description of what they were. I mean, turning the, turning the Nile to blood would have contaminated all of the drinking water for the people. I mean, frogs and gnats and flies would have been, would have driven you crazy. Livestock dying would have affected their food supply, as well as locusts destroying their crops. Uh, boils, hail, I mean, it would have just, they would have despaired for life itself. And then darkness, they, it was so dark. It was light where the people of God were, but it was so dark where they were, they didn't, they didn't, it said nobody got up and went anywhere for three days. They couldn't see in front of their face. That would have at least been confusing. But then the death of the firstborn in every home was the worst of all. But the purpose of these plagues went far deeper than the mere misery they would have induced. Um, And they go far deeper than any political pressure it would have put on Pharaoh to let the people go. You know, yeah. So, and and, and not only that, what I just said, Pharaoh and all the Egyptians would have known it. (laughs) And I'm going to explain why. Because this was very clearly not a battle between just God and Pharaoh. This was not just a battle between God and Egypt. These plagues were between God and the supposed gods of Egypt. This was a God versus the gods. Big G God versus the little G gods. And, and that, that would have included Pharaoh himself. On that note, we noted already in this study that Pharaoh saw himself 
He saw himself and the people of Egypt saw Pharaoh as the very incarnation on earth of their supreme gods. Uh, they believed that the world was formed out of chaos and order was brought and that Pharaoh, as the incarnation of their God, he's the guy that maintains the order in the world. Well, the mere plagues themselves then would have been an affront to their claims of his deity since it was under his watch that the world seemed to fall apart, right? Chaos was back, one right after another. But even more, each of these plagues would have been clearly aimed at a specific God that they worshipped. Um, again, go to, go to Brian's uh, sermon for uh, 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 an accounting for all ten of the plagues. Uh, he had time for that. I don't. Um, but let me just give you two examples of what I mean by that. Uh, the people of Egypt worshipped the Nile, the waters of the Nile. They believed that it was the domain of their fertility God, that the Nile uh, sustained Egypt, right? Um, and when then the very first plague, that Nile is turned into blood, it just laid waste to that belief, right? And then the, in the penultimate plague, the ninth plague, when when darkness, that darkness reigned over the land, their supreme deity. I mean, you know, polytheism is the same, has always been the same everywhere in the world. I mean, like, you know, you see the sun, you worship the sun, right? They worship the sun, but they assign, uh, assign to the sun their supreme deity, Amon-Ra. And that was their creator god, Amon-Ra. Represented by the sun. Well, when the sun goes dark, just on them, it's light everywhere else on the people of the Lord. Yeah, it proved that claim to be a lie. And it proved his reality and his supremacy over their supposed deities. God clearly and repeatedly stated his purpose in these plagues is, is more than just punishment. It's more than just political pressure. It is to demonstrate His glory, His supreme glory in front of their eyes. Why did He turn the Nile into blood? Chapter 7, verse 17. By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Why did He send a plague of frogs? Chapter 8, verse 10. So that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. Why did He send flies? Chapter 8, verse 22. That you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Why the hail? Chapter 9, verse 16, to show my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Why the final plague? Chapter 11, verse 17, so that you may know that, that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And by that point, they would have known that when the Lord proclaimed his name over against their gods, he was, he was Lord over all heaven and earth, even over life itself. Think about how these plagues, the ones that I've mentioned, even if you didn't read it, I've mentioned what many of them are. Think of how they demonstrate the Lord's sovereignty over all of nature, even down to the location of gnats, right? Yeah, gnats. Um, anyway, uh, and over, over, over life itself. Livestock die, firstborn die. 
it, it is clear that as you move through these, I mean, if you know a bit of Egyptian history, you can pick up on this, that sun turning dark is an affront to their belief in Amon-Ra, who is the sun, brings light. Even if you didn't know that, if you just kept reading your Bible, the Bible tells you these things. So, for example, Moses, later in his life, when he's reflecting back on these events, he, Moses writes in the book of Numbers, chapter 33, verses 3 and 4. Numbers 33, verses 3 and 4. Moses writes, On the day after the Passover, he's reflecting on what happened here. On the day after the Passover, the people of Israel went out triumphantly in the sight of all the Egyptians, while the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn, whom the Lord had struck down among them. On their gods also the Lord executed judgments. That's Moses saying, this is what it was all about. And we have said in that, 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 that in this first main division of the book of Exodus, this, which is chapters 1 to 15, the primary providential aim of God in this first section is to make His glory and supremacy known among the nations. And the plagues are certainly exhibit A of that. But very quickly, there's one more thing I want us to note, and we would be remiss if we didn't. And that is the typological significance of these plagues. That is, um, well, I'll explain what I mean by that. So very quickly, think with me about the prelude of the plagues. If you study these plagues carefully, you can hear in them echoes of creation. I don't know if you've thought about that. We've already in previous weeks pointed out how in earlier chapters of Exodus, there are several intentional allusions to the book of Genesis. Think about the opening words of the book of Exodus, where it intentionally says that the people of Israel were fruitful and multiplied. They were fruitful and multiplied in the land of Egypt, and they became a mighty people. Or think about, remember when Moses was a baby, and it, isn't, it doesn't just say that his mother put him in a basket. She put him in an ark. That's the word that, that uh, is used for that little basket. It was like an ark hearkening back to the flood narrative in Genesis. That trend continues here in the plagues. But, when you, but in, whereas those were positive allusions to Genesis, they were fruitful and they multiplied. It was a, his little basket was an ark of salvation for Moses. Instead of it being a positive allusion to the book, the book of Genesis, this is, the plagues are not that. The plagues are like an undoing of creation. They're like an undoing of, of creation. So what, what do I mean by that? And these are not in any particular order, but like when God said, whereas in Genesis God said, let there be light, and He created the luminaries, the sun, moon, and the stars, he causes in the ninth plague everything to go dark. Right? No more light. Whereas God brings order to the waters of creation. Let the waters be separated from the waters. Let the dry land appear. Order being brought to the, to the waters. Here He turns the Nile to blood and frogs are coming out of them everywhere. Terrorize the people. Whereas God in creation said, let, the, let, let vegetation sprout forth from the, from the dry land. In creation, now he's sending locusts and hail to destroy the vegetation. 
Whereas God on the sixth day of creation created animals and then human beings in his own image, now he kills the livestock and the firstborn of every family who doesn't place the blood of the Passover lamb on the door. It is an intentional undoing and dismantling of creation in, in a microcosm in Egypt. The New Testament picks up on this theme, and, 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 it, and it does so in a book that we just spent a great deal of time studying uh, in the book of Revelation, showing how the plagues in Egypt were actually just a prelude foreshadowing a greater and more universal judgment coming on the earth and on all the enemies of God, not just the Egyptian ones. Consider Revelation chapter 16. Uh, if you, you can turn there, you can just listen, but Revelation chapter 16, it's in that chapter where we saw described the seven bowls of God's wrath being poured out. And notice in the second and in the third bowl, that is in verses 3 and 4, the second and third bowls being poured out, what happens? All the waters, all the rivers and springs of water turn into what? Blood. That's just like the plague. Notice in verse 9 that these bowls being poured out are called plagues. They curse the name of God who had power over these plagues. Constant allusion down in, in, in these bowls being poured out to these exodus plagues, even down to the repetition over and over again that the people did not repent. Just like Pharaoh, verse 9, they did not repent and give him glory. Verse 11, they did not repent of their deeds. At the, the very last verse of the chapter, they cursed God for the plague of the hail. There's hail because the plague was so severe. The point is that when we come to passages like Exodus, we're not just reading about this thing that happened in history. We're reading an episode of history that was providentially orchestrated by a sovereign God who already knows the end from the beginning. And he orchestrated this in such a way in the past to teach us something that's coming in the future. This is, we're not just be, and, and, and in this case, it, isn't it interesting? When we come next, next time we gather, uh, actually next week, Greg Key, I'm going to be at the Southern Baptist Convention next week. You can pray for that. Uh, Greg is going to teach. But when we come back to the next section in Exodus um, about the Passover, clearly that passage is going to prepare us for the first coming of Christ. But this one, if it prepares us for anything, it's for his second coming. Right? This, 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 this is just reading the Scriptures as Jesus taught us to read. It's to look for all the things written about him and all the things concerning himself. All right, let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for uh, thank you for the, these these things. I I, I know, Lord, that uh, to to our ears, some of the things we talked about um, can seem heavy, or just the mere idea of you hardening a, a person's heart. But Lord, I pray that it, we would think carefully about the the book of Exodus and. And it, and it help us to see the justice of it and the, the, 
and it be an, an awakening to us to, um, to, to, to fight to keep our, our hearts tender toward you. Not that we could ever uh, lose our salvation, but, um, but that nevertheless, out of, out of proper fear of you, we would work to keep our hearts tor- tender toward you and that it would help us in our evangelism. Uh, when we talk to other people who do not know Christ, that there's a, there's a greater urgency to it. Um, yeah. And I pray, Lord, that uh, you, would, um, you, would, you would encourage us also by this sobering passage, um, reminding us that you are, you are sovereign over all things, and we, live, we walk through this life in our Father's world. Uh, yeah. We, we give you praise, and thank you for that comfort you give us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.